हेलो वेलकम टू द सेल्फ लर्निंग पॉडकास्ट बाय डॉक्टर सुषमा सिंह लेट अस स्टार्ट डिस्कशन ऑन यूनिट 18 सोवरेनिटी एंड आवर टॉपिक इज इंटरनल सोवरेनिटी द प्रोसीडिंग डिस्कशन ऑन द कांसेप्ट ऑफ सोवरेनिटी हैज बीन लार्जली इन टर्म्स ऑफ इंटरनल सोवरेनिटी एज वी सा मच ऑफ द मॉडर्न पॉलिटिकल थ्योरी हैज बीन एन अटेम्प्ट टू डिसाइड द प्रिसाइजली where sovereignty should be located. Early political thinkers such as Machiavelli, Bodine and Hobbes were inclined to the belief that sovereignty should be vested in the hands of a single person, a monarch. The overriding merit of vesting a thought sovereignty in a single individual was that the sovereignty would then be indivisible. It would be expressed in a single voice that could claim final authority. Locke, Rousseau and the subsequent thinkers departed from this absolute notion of sovereignty. They rejected monarchical rule in favor of the notion of popular sovereignty. The belief that ultimate authority is vested in the people themselves. This doctrine of popular sovereignty is generally regarded as the basis of modern democratic theory. While these thinkers disagreed about who or what the ultimate authority should be, they were united in their belief that the sovereignty could be and should be located in that determinant body. This is the traditional doctrine of sovereignty which is also called as the monastic theory of sovereignty. Even Rousseau who espoused popular sovereignty acknowledged that the general will was indivisible whole which could only be articulated by a single individual who he called the legislator. This traditional doctrine of sovereignty has come under growing criticism in an age of pluralistic and democratic government. John Fries, Harlow, J. Lasky and other pluralists have argued that the monistic theory of instinctly linked to its absolute past and so is frankly undesirable. They emphasize that the political power in any given society does not rest only in the state apparatus but is shared by a number of groups and institutions other than the state in that society. Moreover, they pointed out that it is no longer applicable to modern system of government which operate according to the network of checks and balances. For a pluralistic liberal democratic principles are the very antithesis of sovereignty. While the pluralistic caution against the danger of elected or majority and call for restraining and influencing the exercise of the sovereign power of the state.
all the same they seem to miss the point that monist position is that of legal theory of sovereignty that is state alone has compulsory and universal jurisdiction in its territory it alone legally can use coercive power against those who break its law this right of state is recognized by all the citizens other associations may use power but their right may not be accepted by all indigenous they may appeal against their action to the higher authority and the state is the highest authority there can be no appeal against the sovereign action of the state now let us move to the next point locating sovereignty after the english and the french revolution in 1688 and 1789 respectively the representative and constitutional government that were established initially in the west and later in other parts of the world assumed different forms the task of locating sovereignty in representative governments is particularly difficult the english jurist john austin investigating who in the name of the people or of the state exercises sovereignty in britain came to the conclusion that it is neither vested in the crown nor in the people but in the monarch in parliament this was the supreme organ that enacted laws binding on everybody else but that was not itself bound by the laws of and could change these laws at will that was not self bound by the laws of and could change these laws at will however as we shall see later this idea of legislative or parliamentary supremacy is fitted only a particular scheme of government that prevailed in britain in the 19th century the idea of legislative supremacy does not fit well in federal states such as the united states canada australia and india where government is divided into two levels each of which exercises a range of autonomous powers federalism is often said to involve a division of power between these two levels between the center and the states or constituent units however in developing the notion of a shared or divided sovereignty federalism moves the concept away from the classical belief in a single and indivisible sovereign power it may furthermore be suggested that neither level of government can finally be described as sovereign because sovereignty rests with the document which apportions power to each level 
the constitution, but then since the power of interpret the constitution lies with the supreme court, one can argue that the sovereignty resides with the supreme court. However, the supreme court cannot properly be portrayed as the supreme constitutional arbiter since it its interpretation of the constitution can be overturned by the amendments to the original documents. In this sense, sovereignty can be said to reside with the institution empowered to amend the constitution. In the United States, it is two-third majority in both houses of Congress and three-quarters of American state legislatures or in the convention specially called for the purpose. In India, it is two-third majority in both houses of the parliament and one-half of the states. To complicate matter further, it can be argued that sovereignty in India ultimately is vested in Indian it themselves. This is expressed in the preamble of the constitution which opens with the words we the people. In view of these complexity, a polycentric concept of sovereignty has taken root in the federal states. It has long been argued that in Britain, a single unchallengeable legal authority exists in the form of the Westminster Parliament. In the words of John Stuart Mill, Parliament can do anything except turn a man into a woman. Being a unitary form of government, no rival legislatures exist to challenge the authority of the Parliament. All legislation derived from a single source. However, it can be argued that in reality the British Parliament enjoys neither legal nor political sovereignty. Its legal sovereignty has been compromised by members of the European Union as an EU member. Britain is obliged to confirm to European law and is thus subject to the jurisdiction of European Court of Justice in Luxembourg. In fact, the European Court in 1991 declared the Merchant Shipping Act of 1988 passed by the British Parliament to be unlawful because it contravened European laws guaranteeing a free movement of goods and persons within the European community. If Parliament can any longer be described as legally sovereign, it is only by virtue of the fact that it retains the legal rights to withdraw from the EU. In political terms also, the Parliament has never enjoyed sovereignty in the sense of acting as it pleases. Its behavior has always been contained by a wide range of institutions including the electorate, organized interest, particularly those who possess financial and economic muscle 
major trading partners, organizations, international treaties and so forth. To conclude, sovereignty resides in the state or political community as a whole. Given the complex checks and balances that operate in democratic states and the internal and external constraints that operate on these states. Questions relating to the precise location of sovereignty appear to have become outdated. It is the issue of external sovereignty that is independence vis-a-vis -vis other states in the international order that has become absolute vital. Let us focus on this aspect of sovereignty in our next session. Now let us wind up this session and take rest. Thank you very much for engaging yourself with the self-learning podcast.